This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my left, Danny Bailey in the booth. Call our text lines 303-831-1340. Thanks for tuning in. However you're listening, whether it's FM, HD, go to MileHighSports.com where you can uh, you can watch us. As Sandy and I, Natalie, attired in gray sweatshirts because it's freezing outside. and uh, Or you can get the uh, Mile High Sports app and, and get all of it in one spot. But Sandy, a... Uh, Sort of a remarkable day yesterday when you think about the the coaching losses. I mean, you know, normally on this program, we're going to tackle local things first and foremost. But on on a a day in which Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, and amazingly, as an afterthought, with his two two national titles. 24-hour period a day, we had three within 24 hours. Carol. Saban, Belichick, right. all in their 70s, very close to one another when it came to age. Actually, Carroll is 72. Mm-hmm. Belichick will soon be 72. Mm-hmm. Saban is 72. And the one who seems to have, of the three, the most assurance of being a coach again by far Here's is be Belichick. Belichick. Yeah, Bill Belichick, three, 333, Who's 178. The of the three? Uh, in his NFL career, including the postseason, eight Super Bowl titles, Saban in the NCAA, 292-71 and won seven national titles. Pete Carroll, it's kind of funny, almost as an afterthought, right? 181, 131 and one in the NFL, yeah. the Super Bowl title, two national titles. Uh, as a collegiate coach, 83 and 19 in his career. Some arguments of... Uh, not scandal for Saban, who was not a good NFL coach, 15 and 17, but obviously deflate gate for Belichick, the way that Pete Carroll left USC. Right. Uh, as soon as the scan, as soon as the suspensions and, and uh, sanctions came up, he jets for Saban Seattle. Saban was not a great NFL coach, but he wasn't a bad NFL coach. Two games coach. under 500. We talked about that at length yesterday. And uh, the reason, uh, which to me is interesting as I think about it, the reason that he left Miami was that he didn't have the control he had had at LSU, Michigan State, previous college head coaching positions. He had less control with the Dolphins. And I told the Drew Brees story, which we've told before on this program, that Saban wanted Brees. Uh, Those on the staff weren't as bullish. Those on the staff may or may not have included George Payton, the current general manager of the Denver Broncos, who was in a personnel position, pro personnel, I believe, Danny Bailey, if I'm uh, correct in remembering from yesterday, your memory is sharper than mine. Uh, Danny Bailey informing me yesterday that, uh, yes, in fact, in 06, George Payton was the director of pro personnel for the Dolphins. Now, I, I said at the time, and I'll say it again now, I am not suggesting that I know for a fact that George Payton recommended Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. I don't. Hey, he might have been on Saban's side. I I don't recall Payton ever talking about it. I don't recall Nick Saban ever saying everybody was against me, including George Payton. But a majority obviously felt differently than Saban did. And Saban said, I don't need this. Coach one more year, and then he was on to Alabama. The interesting thing about the Alabama job, if you go back and look, through all the coaches, maybe with the exception of Gene Stallings, who did win a national title at Alabama, mm-hmm. all the coaches between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban, all the coaches, 
A lot of them. I, I remember Ray Perkins specifically. They left Alabama for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the 1980s. Yeah. When the Bucs stunk. People were leaving Alabama for what they thought were better jobs. And at least in Perkins' case, it was, wow, how the mighty have fallen. And Saban comes on and stays for 17 years, wins six national titles, uh, not including the one he won at LSU. Right. And we, we had the stat yesterday that in the BCS CFP era, roughly 25 years, I guess 26 now officially with the conclusion of the 23 season, 98 through 23. Nick Saban won seven national titles, six at Alabama, one at LSU. The three people who were successful more than anybody else in winning national titles apart from Saban combined won seven national titles, Urban Meyer, three, one at Ohio State, two, of course, at Florida. Dabo Sweeney, two at Clemson. Kirby Smart, two at Georgia. So you combine those three, they didn't win more than seven. I mean, I'm still Seven laughing. won seven by himself. He was the dominating figure on a college sports landscape as a coach, no matter what sport you're talking about, for a quarter century. I mean, how can plus. you? I, this is this is just the the. This part was remarkable to me that his run at Alabama, if and granted, we know that many of his athletes did not stay all four years for obvious reasons, uh, more first round draft picks than losses in his time at Alabama. Yes, but right. if if you had stayed all if all four years at Alabama, at any point in Nick Saban's tenure, you would have been a national title winner. At any point, if you would have stayed all four years. That's how, how tight those Remarkable. those windows were. Well, six and 17 years, you do the math. Right. That's more than one year out of every three. 2011, 12, 13, 15, or pardon me, 12, 15, 17, 20. Yeah. I mean, if, if you stayed all four years, and then you won a title at Bama. Yeah. His entire yeah. tenure. Absolutely remarkable, and, and there is the idea that well, we'll talk about some of the, the coaching impact as well with our friend Justin Adams a little later in the program, but when, when it comes to a guy like Saban and the idea behind his NIL behind some of these departures, I mean, it's also worth noting Saban is 72, may want to enjoy his retirement, has literally nothing whatsoever to prove as a football coach. And that was my take yesterday, and I, I, I want to amend my remarks. I, I I don't think an apology is in order, but we got a text yesterday. Danny will remember it uh, from man of the people, if I'm not mistaken, asking me if I thought that NIL drove Saban out. And I, I said, I thought it, it might've been a factor. I think it may have been more of a factor than I suggested yesterday. And I, I, Saban's retirement news came just as we were going right. to the air, or yes. right before we went on on the air. So I was careful to add uh, or preface my remarks by saying, "Listen, I haven't read beyond the statement that Saban gave. I haven't read quotes from Saban since quotes from Saban have come out this morning, suggesting you know I didn't have the same verve for coaching that I once did, and." I remember his statement in November when he was asked about retirement. He said, 
if you're considering retirement, you might as well retire. And he said at that time, I'm not considering retirement. But he also said on the Pat McAfee show, which is in the news for many other reasons, beyond uh, the regular appearances of Nick Saban, it's the regular appearance of somebody else who's causing uh, the Pat McAfee show some headaches at the moment. Uh, But he told Pat McAfee in response to the retirement question, the the R-word question, you know, you hear about that, how do you deal with it? And Saban said, basically, when I recruit players and they ask if I'm going to be there for four years, I come back and ask them, are you going to be here for four years? Right. Now, that may have been a sign that he didn't dismiss the question out of hand and said, I've answered that question all year, and no, I'm not retiring, and yeah, I feel great. I thought he appeared more relaxed this year than he had ever been before and did one of his best coaching jobs in taking a team that as far as national title contention was pronounced dead in September after a home loss to Texas and took them all the way to the Rose Bowl and the college football playoff semifinals and could have beaten Michigan. I'm not saying should have, could have. Certainly came closer than Washington did on Monday night. And I thought, as you just articulated, Get out with the getting's good. I, I mean, everybody would like to go out with a championship, and I'm but sure after you've won seven, he's won six, seven in all, right, including the one at LSU. And you know, are, are things going to get better? Even if Saban had stayed, I wonder. And now that Dan Lamming, who, who it, it looked like a setup uh, for for a little while, because he was in Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. yesterday. And I said, well, they, they planned this out. They scripted this out. Saban would retire, and they'd immediately hire, maybe even the next day, the head coach at Oregon, who said this morning, uh, no, I think I'm staying at Oregon. Yes, he did. He said he's staying <laughs> so, in Oregon. In fact, uh, Lanning has said on social media, if you're scared of your coach leaving, come play for us. The Ducks aren't going anywhere, and I'm not leaving. I want yeah. to be in Eugene for as long as Eugene will have me. Some of that has to do with the fact multiple reports out of the state of Oregon also explain some of we talk about the NIL world, right? It also may exist for coaches. Now, the, the reports are, are, are coming out uh, in the state of Oregon that one of the reasons that Dan Lanning may want to stay is because he may have a vesting option with stock in right. Nike, of course, Phil yeah, Knight, yeah, yeah. the benefactor, and, and that continues to vest the longer he stays in Eugene up to maybe as much as $30 million and, in Nike stock. If you're Dan Lanning, you're like, ah, I'm I, good. I, and I on top of that, I, Sandy, here was my thought. I don't happen to like him very much, but. He's a hell of a coach, particularly in the offense. Seems to be side. going quite well. And I, I would say this. I get it. Alabama's Alabama. But things are good at Oregon. Yes. And you I, got the Nike connection. If you're as you Dan mentioned. Lanning, I'm more than happy to wait for the next guy at Bama in oh, three sure. or four Plus years line, to right? automatically look like a bad hire compared to Nick Saban and then come back to me. Don't succeed the right. legend. Succeed the guy and who I succeeds bet you the legend. That that Lanning, uh, I mean, lots of Lanning's people, young. Look, lots of people uh, vacation in Tuscaloosa in January, <clears throat> don't they? Well, yeah. anyway, but yeah, Lanning is thirty-seven. Well, and, Lanning listened and decided and he probably to stay listened with Nike. And went, you know what? I'm good for now. Call me back in three, four years if something comes up, and that's probably the smart thing to do. And and I don't mean to demean Oregon, but Dan Lanning chose to stay with Nike. Correct. As sure. much as, at least as well, much Nike, as Nike and Oregon are essentially, at, at this point, especially yeah, in the NIL world, 
they're linked. Yeah, yeah. the the Venn diagram uh, almost is a is a complete circle, and so it makes sense for landing. You know, we'll see where that goes when it comes to to coaching and how it changes things. But, but they does... better hire, don't you think? They better hire somebody quick. And I think even if they do, there may be some certainly by Alabama standards lean years to yeah. come for Alabama. I mean, you got Georgia in the SEC. You got teams. You know, coming in like Texas and Oklahoma, it, it's, I think, going to be a fairly rough ride for the next four or I five think years. Speculation is going to very rapidly already go around. Already, people are decommitting, and if they right. don't hire a head coach quickly, Fast. they're going to have massive decommitments. I agree, and and I think that Kalen DeBoer, who you, you just saw last weekend in the national championship, uh, Washington's coach, makes a lot of sense. A very well regarded guy around the league. He'd be my choice. Young, but not too young. 49 years old. Right. A guy that could be there for the long haul. He'd but, be but my choice. It makes sense. The buyout for, for Bama it, at $12 million is minimal. Washington feels, it feels like he's taken that about as far as it can go. Oh, I think so. And I think that makes a tremendous amount of sense. I think when you're looking at the, you'll, you'll hear Steve Sarkeesian and other guys like that go around. I don't think that fits. I think Sarkeesian, it, nobody's richer than Texas. Right. Nobody. And they love him there. Yep. They got it finally to the seems college to football click. playoff. Why would you go try to replace year? Nick Saban where they you'll automatically Alabama. look bad? They just yeah. beat Alabama. It doesn't make sense. So I, I think I think DeBoer makes a lot of sense. Uh, the the interesting part about the way this this coaching works is it strikes me, and, and we'll talk to to Justin about it later. That whether you talk about the Verve or the NIL or whatever, that the future is is and it's not a secret is going to the schools. Texas is one. Ohio State is another. Michigan is another with with large uh, alumni bases with money. Uh, you could get to an Oregon because of the Nike money there that is installed. Right. But this, when you if you bring it back locally a little bit, the the world is pivoting more and more towards coaches, a la Deion Sanders, who do treat this approach now as basically hiring. The, the recruiting world is a little bit more about how can we get you paid today and down the road. And Sanders' pitch, make of it what you will. We know the season crash landed for, for the Buffs, and we'll find out how it all shakes out. But his pitch for players has been, I'll get you paid right now, and we'll get you ready for the pros so you get paid in the future. That is going to be, I think, for at least the next five to seven years, the way the pendulum is going to swing in college football. I agree with and you. And the coaches who, who can maximize that, and Lanning is one, and I think Sanders may be another. I think Lanning recognizes Sanders may be one. That's why he was so upset uh, all, all offseason, and they had a weird little rivalry, no longer an issue in different conferences. But that's an intriguing thing. I don't think it chases a Nick Saban out, but I do think a Nick Saban at 72 who's been able to show the, the resume and just walk up to a student to go, would you like to win a title? Come to Alabama and now realize that some of these kids and a lot. We They're going to go to other well, places and say, goes. how much can you give right. me? And, and, and the idea is to then paint the students as as mercenaries, which I get. Uh, Dabo Sweeney's been the vanguard well, of that. He, yeah. He painting, painting students as mercenaries. He doesn't work the portal at all. And he he, like he makes multi-million dollar salary right. but complains about players wanting to get paid. But the thing is that you know as well as I do, and I think a lot of our listeners know that uh, not every college football athlete is coming from money where they can spend the time to take all the four years and hope everything works out. Some of them are coming from situations where they could really use that money right yes. now. Oh, and if right. that means you're going to go play for Washington instead of Alabama because you can get paid, then that's what you do. 
and and I think the reality is situations for all of these incoming players are so vastly different that at this stage, Nick Saban may have decided, look, I'm as, I'm, I'm as good as I've been, yeah. but I'm a little exhausted. I don't really feel like competing with the money side of this. I don't have to. I, I have a wing of the college oh, football Hall of Fame. Why bother I, I anymore? I'm going to leave this to the Deion Sanders and the Dan Lannings of the world and wish them luck. I think that's an accurate assessment. I, I think it's split right down the middle. Uh, there may be other factors, but I think those are the big ones. Um, I, everybody wants to go out on top, and we've been lucky and enough he almost to see did. three guys as athletes, not not coaches, right. but as athletes, go out with championships in John Elway, Raymond Bork, and Peyton Manning. The only two quarterbacks in the history of the league, by the way, in Manning and Elway, that walked off after winning a Super Bowl. The only right. two. That's, that's never happened, except for those two men. And, and so it's highly unusual to see that happen. And now already you're hearing about uh, Peyton's nephew, Arch Manning, with Quinn Ewers returning to Texas. Would he consider transferring? LSU needs a quarterback back to the home sure. state. And Ewing is coming back at Texas. Yeah, Ewers is, is to be is the starter returning. next year. Right. So could Arch Manning transfer? Sure. Could he get NIL money elsewhere? He gets some at Texas by, by quite a bit. most of the uh, uh, yeah, assumptions but he he's could get that money somewhere else. Yeah, he's uh, by uh, the folks that keep track of that on three well, the website on three dot a great site for that sort of keeps track of it as best as they can. Uh, Bronny James is the most sure. uh, nil you know paid athlete. Olivia Dunn, the, the gymnast for LSU, is number two, right. and then number three is is Arch Manning. Right, not a shock uh, in the top ten. Both Shadur Sanders and, and oh, Travis Hunter, of course. So that that's the way it's going to go. But I, I mean, I think in the, in Saban's case, you know, it definitely closes a chapter. It, it intrigues me that in Belichick's case, and and we'll talk about this more in a moment. I don't think the chapter's closed. In fact, it's about the next chapter. But the departure of Carroll and maybe Belichick really changes the way that we look at coaches as the idea of is it a younger man's game, Sandy? Only a handful of coaches in the NFL, and we'll include Belichick in it, assuming he's sticking around are over the age of 55. That, that the There's not that many left. One of them... The median coaching age is dropping. And w- one of those now older coaches, as it stands today, coaches is for the Sean Denver Payne. Broncos. We'll talk about that next on My Life Sports. Well, you don't know. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Teddy Bailey on top of it as the coaching generations do change in the NFL now, by the way, with Bill Belichick currently out of a job, but certainly sounding like he has one if he wants one. Andy Reid becomes the oldest coach in the league at 65 years old. John Harbaugh at 61. And those are the only two guys over the age of 60. There are three coaches at 60. Mike McCarthy was born in early November of 1963. Todd Bowles just about a week later. And Sean Payton at the tail end of December. Those are the five current oldest coaches in the NFL. Doug Peterson, then there is a gap from Sean Payton at, at 60 to Doug Peterson at 55. It continues to get 
younger and younger. And it's that uh, we pointed out even a, a week or so ago, we were talking about Sean McVay, who still isn't 40, something to think about the way that just remarkable at the, the, the career he's had thus far. But well, it, I'd say he's at six years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, been to two Super Bowls, one, one, uh, again, like Saban may have done one of his best, if not his best this coaching year. job this year in winning 10 and games you know with that Rams. I do not think they're done, and I do not count them out against the Lions this weekend. I don't either. I don't either. Now, I, I know Wild Card Weekend tends to be formful, but the t- two teams I really like, Tampa Bay at home against reeling Philadelphia. Tampa is a mess right now. I mean, Philly's a Philly mess. Philly is a mess. And I like the Rams at Detroit. Can you imagine all these years Lions fans have waited to get into the playoffs? You get a home game. And they get a home game, but it's against their old quarterback, Matthew Stafford, who won a Super Bowl right after he left Detroit. And you have the quarterback the that guy. you traded. It's the quarterback. They're both quarterbacks right. in the same place. I don't think it'll affect Goff, but it can't help but affect Stafford, and I think in a positive way. Me too. Because Stafford's got nothing to lose. He's already won his Super Bowl. And I imagine there's at least part of Stafford that would love to come into Detroit and beat the Lions Mm -hmm. in what is supposed to be the Lions' year, right? I think so, yeah. Philadelphia's dropped by the wayside, so you're left with Dallas and San Francisco. Um, I'm not saying I think the Lions will go to the Super Bowl. In fact, I don't think the Lions go in a playoff game, but it it seemed like a lot of things went for the Lions' during the regular season, all right. of a sudden they get a playoff game and it's the Rams and it's Stafford and it's a hot team. I'd rather, if I'm Detroit, I'd rather face Green Bay oh, than the Rams. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out, but it, it does uh, get the coaching Young pool game, younger, and it is getting younger, as we pointed out. I mean, you're talking about only five coaches over the age of 60, and three of them are 60 on the button. Got a text, uh, as we said, it's, of course, your program as well, 303-831-1340. Danny Bailey's monitoring that. And uh, Danny, what'd you find? This one from Broncos 60. Father Time had caught up to Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick. Look, football, college, and NFL, both a young man's game. And I believe Sean Payton's time is up also after what I've seen this year. Well, if you're right on Sean Payton, that's a bad sign for the Broncos because he's not going anywhere. But I will say this, and I don't think it's a secret, Sandy. We've talked about it all season. The brilliant offensive mind, the the reports coming into the season, the greatest play call, offensive play caller in the NFL, I didn't see it. And once he got his preferred quarterback in, a Jared Stedham in the last two weeks, I didn't see any difference there either. So I think there is something to that. The It, it can be a challenge. Not necessarily because a coach is older or not. You know, we need to make sure we don't dive into that. It is a personality type, not an age thing. But people who have had success and they've had success their way tend to continue going their way. That's just human nature. And Sean McVay isn't even 40. He's the same thing. He's had success his way. He does things his way. But yes, there, there are, in the game of football especially, which is cyclical, and it tends, especially at the NFL level, to go around very quickly because the nature of the salary cap means you have to get more and more creative all the time. You know, you can go from a uh, a year in which you had a wildcat take over the league for one year and then never again. You, We've now seen this year 
the passing go down dramatically as, as teams are making sure that you're absolutely sitting on the top, just not getting beat over the top. The anti-Patrick Mahomes defense and the whole league's gone that way. Well, that will change too as then the smart teams nibble, start getting guys in space underneath and create. But it, it can be challenging for people who have had success for a long time to continue to innovate. Not everybody's good at it. However, I think when you're talking about these particular three coaches, I think their career shows that they actually do have a significant I history think of innovation. they did adapt. Uh, I, I would push back a little on the texture, yeah. particularly with respect to Saban. Um, Saban said he didn't have the verb for coaching, but it wasn't because the game passed him by. Uh, Belichick um, has adapted before, but adapting with Tom Brady as your quarterback and easier. adapting with Cam Newton, Mac Jones, Zappy, Zappy. Uh, yeah. you know, that's, that, that's different. And I got, you know, I'm, I'm watching some of the Belichick press conference day and, and paid little or no attention to what Belichick said. I did pay attention to what Kraft said and it had a funereal feel to it. Yeah. I mean, they said the right things, but you know what? Um, and Rick Perea spoke very eloquently and at length on our podcast uh, yesterday, our weekly podcast, uh, of Wellness Wednesday checkup from the neck up, about the Carroll situation being a little different. That there may have been, in fact, some mutual, uh, mutually agreeable uh, ideas uh, that provide for Carroll staying with the organization. Mm-hmm. Belichick ain't staying. Alabama is. I mean, they have a spot for Saban. <laughs> in uh, their Hall of Fame. Sure, whatever, whenever he feels like showing up, obviously, he, right. He won't be turned away at the gig no. if he if he wants to show up. I appreciated but, everyone leaving the uh, the, the uh, Coca-Colas and the Moon Pies at the statue yeah. out of Brian Denny, too. Right, right, right. Fun little touch there. Uh, absolutely. But I, I, I don't think that any of these three would say that Father time caught up with them per se. I, I understand the thinking, and especially with Belichick uh, operating without Brady, uh, made the playoffs once, didn't win a playoff game, uh, was bad in the other years, and and worst of all was this year. Although he did manage to come into Denver and out coach Sean Payton mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve, he, he did manage to do that. I think he can still coach. Now, I think Belichick as an executive as well as a coach, uh, I'm not so sure I'd love that arrangement, but I think he can still coach. Uh, Saban could have coached uh, another year, two years, three years Certainly. if he wanted to. Uh, you got the semifinals. Car- Carroll, I think, is in a position now. I know it's been generally called an advisory position, but I think he'll have some influence and it'll be very interesting to see how Carroll's successor deals with Pete Carroll still being. In yeah, the that's the part that I do wonder about because you have a guy with a, a large footprint there that is still in the organization. And, and you had the same questions to an extent when you hired a general manager under John Elway, who then became team president and th- those sort of situations. But in, in Carroll's case, it's even a little more direct. And so I think 
that will be a challenge for Seattle to I mean, navigate. Carroll will be around players. Right. That's what makes it awkward. Right. And the advisory thing is more of a motivational. It's the Pete Carroll experience. But that's kind of the way and he coaches, Seattle though. Want, that's right. So Seattle wants to hold on what's to that. that different? And, that, uh, right. That's a tough hire. They're going to have to thread a needle they, there. They, 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 that's exactly the right phrase for it. Seattle will have to thread a needle of sorts on a Pete Carroll deal. I want to say this about Sean Payton. I'm reading the lead sports piece in the Denver Post today, headlined, Offense Remains a Work in Progress. Yes, think. And I'm saying to myself, throughout this piece, and it's not a knock at the writer, Ryan McFadden, at all, but throughout this piece, Sean Payton comes off as an analyst more than the guy who was supposed to be the wizard who fixed the offense here. Right. And uh, here's one paragraph, and I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I promise I'm not picking on Ryan McFadden here. Denver was a shell of the dynamic offenses Peyton constructed in New Orleans. Well, I challenge that to an extent. The dynamic part of the offense in New Orleans was Drew Brees and Michael Thomas and Jimmy Graham and Kamara Mm -hmm. and Reggie Bush and many, many others, good offensive lines along the way. He's not an innocent bystander here. He's not to blame for Denver's erosion as an offensive team over the last seven, maybe even eight years, okay? Mm-hmm. And then nine years if you got 2015 and they weren't great offensively then. Right. And that certainly had nothing to do with Sean Payton. But when he writes in the post today, uh, the Broncos finished their season 28th in total offensive yards, 298.4, 18th in rushing yards, 106 and a half, and 24th in passing yards, 191.9 while averaging 21 points per game. I'm sorry, Sean Payton's not an innocent bystander. He's partially responsible, not totally, but partially responsible for all of that. Right. And the 21 points per game would have been higher, I imagine, if he had stuck with Russell Wilson at quarterback. Over the last two games? I think so. And and that'll be one of the things that's interesting with Payton, too, because I I think you, you hit that on the head. The idea that, he sort of approaches things, and we've learned this after this first year as head coach. He sort of approaches things with a an interesting sort of disconnect, as if he is consistently an analyst looking at his own work. And and I and I say and that, always favorably. But by I, the way. I say that oh, as, as not necessarily saying that that's inherently flawed, but it is interesting to run into someone who kind of looks at, at, at his own job at arm's length and says, well, it's this net. Now, my personal thought process is, given Sean Payton's history, being able to do that allows you to put other people in between you and the problem when that is convenient for you. But it, it is fascinating because, yeah, you, you look at some of it, you're like, well, you got the quarterback you wanted, Jared Stidham, who you, you signed to two years, $10 million. He makes $7 million next year. I obviously didn't want Russell Wilson. This is all very clear. And by the way, stop with the nonsense. Oh, my goodness. Right, look, uh, it's not the post. There, I'm not going to pick on the particular outlets. And, and some of them are, you know, blog sites. And I'm not picking on blog sites either. But 
if you have a place that is trying to get you to click on it by saying, is Russell Wilson's time in Denver really through? Uh, don't go there anymore. Just don't. It, it, it's Stop over. It. It's over. Stop. Okay. Russell Stop. Wilson's not coming back. He's not coming back because Sean Payton never wanted him. Well, ever. I don't think he wanted him as a long-term solution. No, definitely not. From the beginning. Maybe the for one year it would be hired. fine, but he was Maybe never wanted for him for the year, length of the contract. But we both agree from having spoken with people, and I have spoken in recent days again to some of those very same people who are at the very least closely connected to the executive level of the Denver Broncos organization who confirm that he had decided. That's why people said, well, why during the bye week after they had won two games were they butzing around with Russell Wilson's contract? Because he was ready to go to Stidham anyway. Because Peyton told the front office, told George Peyton, and told Greg Penner, I don't even want him starting you any more said, games you and for I me said this before year. the season started that unless the Broncos really took off, and as we know, they did not, that we thought there was a very good chance that Jared Stedham would start after the bye against Buffalo. And we were saying and that in the summer. There was a good chance, although... Well, Russell Wilson didn't know until that morning. You know what prevented it? The Kansas City win. And no. Wilson's stubbornness. Well... Maybe, Which I don't blame but him. why was that. Wilson as stubborn as he was? Because he knew he had the backing of the union, right. which sent an angry letter to the Broncos, which may or may not have threatened legal action against them if they continue to pursue this line of, uh, to use George Payton's word the other day, and George Payton was as lawyered up as you oh, can be goodness. the other yeah. day. Wow. Negotiation. You notice he never said renegotiation because that would present legal peril for the Denver Broncos. So the lawyers told George Payton to say negotiation, not renegotiation. We do this all the time. Mm -hmm. This was no different than any number of friendly conversations we have with agents about adjusting contracts. They're not renegotiations. They're negotiations. That was one. And two, if they said it, Peyton, Peyton, or Penner, a dozen times, two dozen times, that that would be at minimum. Football decision, football decision, football decision, football decision. No relation to anything that happened during the bye week. No relation. Football decision. Football position. In fact, George Payton said, fast forward to week 17 when the decision. Well, no. There isn't an intelligent observer of the Denver Broncos who has any credibility, who believes that there was no connection between Sean Payton, George Payton, and Greg Penner on, yes, renegotiation and putting the muscle on Russell Wilson, whose agent and whose whose union backed him. Well, if I'm Russell Wilson, the one part of my contract I wasn't going to uh, negotiate, renegotiate, dance around at any time he'd like 
is the injury one. Did you see how the, the season ended up? I'm not touching that at the age of 35. Over at Superbook, we're or changing the game, by the way. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use the promo code MileHigh, you score up to $250 with the first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MileHigh. Download that Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code MileHigh, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Denver Nuggets have a problem of their own. It's called Utah, apparently. Not the team, the state. They lost their 15th game against the Jazz in 16 trips again. Now you, Sandy, warned about how good the Jazz are. Are the Nuggets taking them seriously? We'll look at last night's game and discuss next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets go to Utah and they usually lose. 15 out of the last 16 <laughs> tries. They do it again last night, losing 124 to 111. Nikola Jokic with a uh, at least a pretty good game. 8 for 9 shooting, 10 for 12 in the line, 27 points, 11 boards, 6 assists, but still minus 21 as, as the Nuggets just got chewed up by a Utah team that looked more invested from the get-go. It's been a bit of a challenge here. And and I do wonder, Sandy, at this point, uh, again, and we've we've talked about this. I've I've been on the Nuggets as having a few more bad losses as you have, but they're 26 and 13. It's not a disaster. But they're 11 and 9 on the road, and it seems to me when they're taking on, and I use the term in in, in finger quotes, so if you're not looking at us on uh, the app or Miley Sports, uh, you'll have to imagine me doing finger quotes. That's not too hard, right? The lesser teams, the Nuggets seem to have a tough time right now. And this can happen with teams that are champs. They seem to have a little bit of boredom with the regular season when they're playing certain teams. And it's been biting them in the backside. I think that's true. I think more than one thing can be true. And I'm not denying in any way the truth of of what you said. And when we talked about this last week, I, I said that I disagreed with you. And that was probably the wrong word. Uh, I think everything you said was valid. I think there are certain teams that are like Utah and Orlando and Oklahoma City to a much, much lesser extent, Houston, which is Mm -hmm. probably going to be a losing basketball team this year. But they clearly had the Nuggets number. Of course, they're already done with Houston. Weird schedule glitch. And the, the one loss to Houston and Denver, that was most assuredly a bad loss. Friday, the loss to Orlando was bad because Orlando had half its team injured or sick. But there are three teams that I look at who are much better than their record looks because of the number of road games they've played. And all three have had their way with the Nuggets this year at least once, and two of the three have beaten them twice. I'm thinking of Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Orlando, which went 2-0 against the Nuggets this year. 
and I'm thinking of Utah, which has split now two games with the Nuggets. And you talk about that home road. Utah's already played. This was their 20. They've played 22 road games. Last night was only their 17th home game. People don't want to hear this. Utah's record, although it doesn't show it overall, because they played so many road games. First of all, they beat Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Well, on a you, recent road trip. Would you indulge me? Denver because you've done this night for, at home. for years, and I really like how you explain this to people. Because one of the ways you break down the NBA schedule, and you've done it in a way that's unique that no one else in town has done for decades, is you tend well, to look at... Doug Moe did it. And no, George Carl and followed there, there you go. when Doug became his assistant. George picked up. But him. to try to get a better idea of where these teams really are, you kind of look during at where, the season. During the season. During where the they season. are, the, the games played, but also the road games and home right. games and where you stand. Kind of above and below average, knowing that teams obviously in general have a tougher time on right. the road. And I, I look at Utah's record, and people say, well, that's a bad loss last night. You lost to a team that's in 11th place, but I said they were in 12th uh, a week ago. Yep. And now they're ahead oh, of Golden you, you State. Warned, you warned about and it. it. People think Golden State's a good team. Golden State isn't a good team. People think the Lakers are a good team. They're not a good team. Uh, people think uh, Indiana's a good team. Indiana's not really a good team. They're a 500 team. They just played a lot of home games. Cleveland's not that great. Cleveland's played a lot of home games. Utah is better than Indiana, Cleveland, Lakers, Atlanta, Phoenix, Houston, Toronto, Golden State. Golden State right now is one of the worst six teams in the NBA, along with Chicago, Portland, Charlotte, Washington, And again, San Antonio, because they're Detroit. 17 and 20, but they played 22 they, they, they home play games and only 15 the road games. They got crushed last night at home. Golden State. So uh, don't be misled. Utah won that game last night, but the fact that the Nuggets, and I know it was 13 at the end, it was 25 at one point, I believe, in the fourth quarter. So don't be misled. The Nuggets got plastered last night by the Utah Jazz, and they did not play well, and they failed to match the energy that Utah had, much to the frustration of Nikola Jokic, who during a, uh, not during, well, yes, during a timeout, timeout. made his views known on what was going on in the huddle very, very angrily. And everybody picked up on it. ESPN picked up on it. Altitude picked up on it. And he also slammed the ball as Malone was calling the timeout after Markin had driven on Christian Brown right to the hoop from the left and laid it in. And he took the ball as Malone was calling timeout, slammed it to the floor. He was not upset at the officiating. He was not even upset at any teammate in particular. But frankly, last night, and it's the first time I've been able to say this, that that I know they didn't go against each other all night, but part of the night they did. Markinen outplayed Jokic last night. They were the two most important bigs on the floor. Markinen, Markinen, to me, is an MVP candidate. Uh, if Utah keeps going this way and finishes with 45, 46 wins and makes the playoffs 26 somehow, points, 12 boards. Uh, and that's just an average 17? night. Yeah. That's an average night for Laurie Markin. And it, 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 at this point, he is a much And they also player. have a sixth man of the year guy in Jordan Clarkson. Well, of course. Was, of course. Every year great. feels like a six-year. He was great guy, last night. man of the year guy. And they are second in the league in bench points because they bring people off the bench like Kessler and Clarkson and George, and Olnick, all who had nice nights mm-hmm. last night. And the Nuggets are 23rd in bench scoring. But last night, that wasn't the story. The story was the Utah starters 
29th in scoring, and that's with Markkinen, outplayed the Nuggets starters, I, who were in the top Colin, five. Colin Sexton was terrific. Starting eight, eight for scoring. 14 shooting. Yeah. He was terrific, 22 points. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was a good performance. And, and one of the ones that you didn't score that much, but I, I thought – in 26 minutes, a sneaky good game by Chris Dunn, who only went two for Absolutely. two, but but did Absolutely. everything else. Had four steals, right. filled up the box score. Four block, steals, four a steals, block. a couple assists, rebounds. Five, four, and three on points, rebounds. Didn't miss a six. basket. I mean, right. they had a very, very good. Oh, and they bring George is a fit. good player for 22 minutes last night, coming off the bench. Clarkson plays starters minutes. Yeah, even he's, he's kind of the Bruce Brown uh, with a little more explosive offensive mm-hmm. ability. He's the Bruce Brown of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I guess Bruce is starting now. Uh, but very similar to what Brown was last year for the Nuggets. Comes off the bench, gives him a lift almost every time. Olnick was excellent. Uh, Kessler's a player. Uh, I think he's more comfortable coming off the bench. Uh, they really don't have a starting center as such. But in certain situations, marketing can match up. And but they have I size. liked his 26-12 yeah. and 12 Better than Jokic's 27 and 11 last night. I thought he was better. Uh, you know, he was plus 17 and Jokic was minus 21. Uh, Jokic was let down by his teammates. I thought the difference Markinen between Markinen got support from his teammates. That was Markinen and I thought the difference was statistically it's kind of a wash. Uh, Jokic was slightly more efficient, but Markinen, I thought, dictated the action. He was the no guy that dictated no the doubt. play. Jokic no was put doubt. in an unusual situation. He was reactive rather yeah. than proactive. Yeah. And that's not usually where he is. But but they do bring size. I mean, uh, you know, Olenek is, is 6'11". Well, sure. Kessler and Markkinen are legit seven-footers. And yeah. is an at- freakishly athletic seven-footer. So they can mix and match and give the Nuggets problems. I also think for Nuggets fans, keep in mind, the Nuggets are newly crowned champions. But Nikola Jokic's play is not new. And the league is now at a couple years to adjust and adapt. And you are starting to see the league try to not only combat, but create their own versions of those offenses where they can in bits and pieces. And so this is one of the challenges for the Nuggets and a challenge for Michael Malone, a challenge for the players as well. Not only are you going to get everyone's best shot, you have the best player in the world and you're the champs. You're going to get everyone's best shot. But what Jokic is doing in evolving the sport in real time means that you're also defending that ground in real time in ways that you've never had to do it before as teams continue to probe and prod and try to find ways to disrupt the Nuggets. And one of the things that I think that they have to be aware of is right now, Jamal Murray, and it's his personality. We've talked about it before. There's no issue with Jamal Murray, who's a great player. And we've talked about guys that you have to have guys that love to win and guys that hate to lose. And we know Jamal's the latter. But Jamal Murray's personality type, at times, when the Nuggets struggle early, Jamal Murray has a tendency of of thinking, okay, I've got to drag us back in. And unfortunately, that gets him and the team into bad situations. And I think right now, over the last couple weeks... Last night was a good example of that. Orlando on Friday night was a good example of that. Where The last possession of the game. There was a little too much, as I say, hero ball. And a little too much, as... uh, 
I mentioned on Monday when you were here, a little too much fiddling and mm-hmm. diddling. Going and on the bright on side, Jamal Murray, too much dribbling. Murray historically does, he kind of goes through these waves for a couple yep. of weeks, and then he becomes then inc- unselfish, yep. so I think you just ride it. I think it's just his personality. Jokic got frustrated, as you pointed out yep. in the timeout. I think Murray's a little frustrated at the slow starts, and so he's trying to do maybe a little bit too much. Too much. The, the Nuggets have to find a way, but I think they can, look, the Jazz are a good team. The Nuggets need, I understand they're the champs. I know they're good. They know they're good. I get it. They know they're making the playoffs as long as they're healthy. I know this. But they have to focus a little harder on some of these regular season games. They can't keep coming in with B-minus efforts and expect to roll out with wins anymore. And just a reminder. that happened last night. It's a reminder more than it is a warning. The Nuggets have lost 13 games. The Clippers have lost 13. The Kings have lost 14. New Orleans has lost 15. So I'm talking about the Nuggets losing two more games than both Minnesota and Oklahoma City and losing only two fewer games to New Orleans, one fewer game, Sacramento, and the Nuggets and Clippers both have 13 losses. I'm just saying. And those teams are... All of them are going better than the Nuggets are going right now. Minnesota lost a great game in Boston last night. They would have beaten every other team in the league at home or on the road, save for Boston last night. They might have even beaten Boston had the game been in Minneapolis instead of Boston. Well, and keep in Minnesota mind. Minnesota is there to stay. Minnesota. As a, as a one of the yep. top Minnesota teams. was on the second night of a back-to-back, too, on the road. And Worth played thinking great. about it. Played, played very, great. very well. Played Nuggets will get a chance to get things right on Friday against those Pelicans. We'll turn our attention back to the football world and a little bit with the Nuggets with our friend Justin Adams from CBS News Colorado. He joins us momentarily on My Life Sports.